Hey, listeners, welcome back. Today, we're going to talk about technology addictions and surprising solutions. So, uh, Stephanie, first off, I've got to, I got to ask you, uh, you know, the, the first step, uh, you know, in solving the problem is admitting you have a problem. So are, are you an addict? Yes. <laughs> are you? <laughs> well, we, we all know that I am. You know, I, <laughs> I, I'm constantly on, on technology. I was actually thinking about this today as I was coming into work and, uh, you know, just how much I'm on my phone, how much I'm on my device, uh, how much I need new glasses, even though I've got the blue filter, supposedly there are better ones out now. Uh, so, yeah. So what, what, what are, what are you doing? I mean, how are you trying to, to get away from the device a little bit? Yeah. A big thing for me was turning off notifications. Um, so like I used to have Twitter notifications come on and I mean, I got a lot of different notifications and I'm like, okay, that's got to stop. So I went into settings, turned it off. Now I only check that once a day, um, but I schedule posts. So it looks like I'm on. And um, I think too, with just the like looking and I see how many emails I have and I just feel like I have to respond and just turning off those notifications has helped me a lot. What about you, Lance? Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you. Right now, I'm sitting at 22 emails in my inbox, and, and that's that's got me twitching a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, and I was thinking today, and most of our listeners probably know I'm a religious guy, and, and I've been really uh, thinking about focus lately. Uh, part of it because I have ADD. For those of you who listen to the show, also, you know that I have ADD, my tics. Uh, but, you know, our students, what what... What are we training them, you know, as far as focus goes? What, what's going on neurolog- uh, neurologically uh, as, as they're on a device all the time? You know, we call this generation the microwave generation. They want it now. Uh, what, what are we, what's happening with, with us having access to so much information with being able to find a solution to, to something right now, to be able to order something right now and have it delivered to us? I, I don't know. I'm just curious as to... You know, are we getting too technologically advanced? Do we need to go back to a simpler life? But I don't know. What do you think, Stephanie? Yeah, and I think, too, like, just some of the kids that I have worked with, they're big into TikTok. They have to create a new TikTok dance or do a TikTok dance to keep, they think they have to keep their followers, which is, I mean, kind of true for marketing. Like, if you look at it from a marketing standpoint, and um, one of them, I was talking to them today. And he was like, I posted this picture and I had to delete it because I only got 50 likes. And if I don't have more than 100, it gets deleted. Like that to me is interesting because I, I'm like, I'll leave things up. I don't I don't check that. But that's that generation. If they don't have enough likes or enough, it's coming down. And I feel like they're probably checking that constant, like probably constantly, like every five minutes. Did, did more people like this? Did more people not like this? Um, which is just, it's so crazy. <laughs> it is. It is. So that brings us to our guest today. we got Mr. Josh Ratliff coming to us today from West Virginia. He is the Director of Education Initiatives with, uh, I'm going to mess this up, but Trafara. Uh, he's a Google Certified Trainer. Uh, he's formerly the Coordinator of Tech and Innovation and Support with the West Virginia Department of Education and is currently a doctoral student. So welcome to the show today, Josh. Thanks, Lance. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks for having me, you guys. Yes, sir. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping you can help us. We, we both have, we made the first step. We've admitted yeah. we have a problem. Yeah. Uh, Gosh, so, are you addicted to technology? 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm doing better. That's actually how my how this story starts is with a, a really honest re- response from my son. I'll tell that story if you want to hear. Yeah, I do. Sure. So, yes, yeah, so I'm just going to I'm going to be quiet because I'm going to listen so I yeah, can yeah. learn. And hopefully you can help me solve my problems here. All right. Well, I'll break it down into two parts and I'll check in with you guys when I get through the first part and then we'll move on to the surprising solutions. But so the story starts with this. Um, well, he was five years old at the time. He's seven now. Um, and uh, it was Father's Day and he's my middle son. His name is Julian, but he goes by Juju. And so Father's Day, he comes home and he's got one of those little worksheets. I'm sure listeners have seen them where they ask little funny questions and then the kid is supposed to respond with the answer, you know, and so you fill it in and the answers are always really cute. So the first question was like, you know, what does daddy do for work? And Julian said, daddy's a teacher. And I was like, yes, you know, that's so good. And I was like, how old is daddy? And you're like 23. And I was like, yes, again. And for the listeners, like, don't, I'm not 23. There's no way. But I was just cheering my little boy on, you know. And the third question was like, what does your daddy say to you all the time? So I'm thinking he's going to say, like, let's wrestle, let's play, you know, come on, let's, you know, do something fun. And his response is, well, you tell me to hold on all the time. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And he was like, well, yeah, you're always on your phone. You're telling me to hold on when I get your attention. And I was mortified because, you know, out of the mouth of babes, you know, so I'm, I am just wanting to crawl under the table and say, there's no way I'm that kind of guy. And I had a really honest moment with myself and was like, if I don't figure this out, uh, I'm going to be in jeopardy of losing some of the relationships that are meaningful to me. And while that was happening at my home, I was also observing a lot of my students that were coming in to schools with red bloodshot eyes. They could barely stay awake. I'd say, Johnny, what's going on with you, man? He'd be like, oh, you know, Mr. Ratliff, I've been up playing video games all night. I'm sorry, I can't pay attention. And I'm asking this child to solve linear systems equations, and he's just holding on for dear life, you know? And, And still, on top of that, I had teachers that I was having to put on a plan of improvement because their classroom management skills were awful. I had one teacher I went in and observed for 10 or 15 minutes before she even realized I was in the room. And she looked up from her device and was like, oh, okay, come on class, let's get going. I was like, girl, I've been in here forever. You know, don't act like you're teaching now. And it's like those kinds of things that were happening everywhere. And I, I really did have kind of a revelation inside of myself that was something that I wanted to really study and look into. So with kind of that being said, and kind of setting the stage for, you know, my experience with it, I would say if we really want to understand addiction, we need to first understand dopamine and how neurotransmitters work. So I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard a lot of different neurotransmitters. There's lots of them being talked about today. Serotonin is one that helps us feel happy, you know, and uh, adrenaline is one that kind of gives us that fight or flight um, sensation. And in my opinion, dopamine is the king of all neurotransmitters. And it is... um, the hormone in our brain that makes us feel pleasure. This is different than happiness. It's intense euphoric pleasure. And um, our normal dopamine level sets around 100 units uh, of dopamine. And then that can change up or down depending upon the environment that we're in. And there are lots of really healthy sources for dopamine release. Um, food is one. So when you're sitting around a meal and you're having, you know, laughs and, and a good time with friends and family and you're enjoying good food, your dopamine level will go from 100 to 150 in an instant. And you have this intense pleasure that's, that's associated with that. We also have other really healthy sources like sex. So during sex, our dopamine level can go from 100 to 200. 
Then there's other sources that are a lot less wholesome, like cocaine, methamphetamines, heroin, prescription opioids. These kinds of things can really soar those dopamine levels all the way up to 1,400 units of dopamine. And so some people theorize that we can become addicted to, to these certain things because dopamine has two main functions. The one we've been talking about quite a bit is pleasure, right? But the other main function of dopamine is it says, remember this, Lance, remember this, Stephanie, come back to this moment. Whatever is happening right here, find your way back to this. So while you're getting that dopamine hit, your brain's saying, this feels really good. Remember this and come back to it. This feels really good. Remember this and come back to it. Over time, we would call that addiction, right? And so we can, and, and we can, if you think about that list of things that cause dopamine release, food, sex, cocaine, methamphetamines, prescription opioids, those kinds of things are all very highly addictive. Um, the interesting thing that we're talking about right now is you can get a dopamine kit from a technology device in a very similar function that you can from food, sex, cocaine, all those other things. So a dopamine release that comes from technology is around 175. So that's considerable, considerably more than that dopamine normal level of 100. So when Stephanie was talking about my, you know, my students are on TikTok, you know, they are really drawn to that because they are getting gratification from those likes and it feels good on them to see that spike and they get pleasure from that. And then their brain is saying, Hey, remember this and come back to it. And we're drawn to that like a magnet. And so that's kind of the, the neuroscience of, of dopamine, or excuse me, of addiction, the way I understand it. And I see that as uh, something that is showing up in teaching and learning quite a bit. So I'm going to switch gears and talk about the solutions. But before I do that, I just want to check in with you guys. And just does that make sense from kind of a baseline standpoint of how this is happening? Yeah. And do you think or with your research, um, like consuming information versus producing information, do you think that causes a different effect too? Yeah, it does. So that's actually going to be one of my first. I'm going to answer that question, Stephanie, but hold, let me. Hold that thought for just a hot second because that's going to be one of my first solutions. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. So, so a question I've so a question I've got as I was thinking through this, uh, the the stimuli that the that the students are getting from all the all the other devices from you know video games and uh, I guess they watch Netflix and not for sure TikToks and and all this. Uh, does it make it almost impossible for them to, to focus in the classroom because they're not being stimulated at that same level? There are certain times when I'm standing in front of children, I feel like I'm part-time teacher, part-time circus clown. Like I have to be so high energy and so entertaining because what they are used to that catches their attention is a very high energy, very highly engaging thing. And when I'm trying to teach children how to factor trinomials, I'm sorry, it's not that exciting. You know what I mean? So yeah, there are times when I find myself in that situation where I feel like I'm up against Goliath in the sense that their expectations for entertainment are quite high. Um, are, you, however, are you saying that, that they don't enjoy splitting the middle term? <laughs> yeah, that can be a nightmare sometimes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but, but I do have good news. And if you want to talk about the solutions, we can kind of pivot to those because the things I'm going to share, there's nothing going to be, there's, I'm going to give you three. Of those three, I, I think that some light bulbs will go off, but I don't think you're going to hear anything you've never heard before. We're just, it's just about being intentional and thinking 
through um, our instructional design and it's very kind of intentional in uh, this very intentional way, if that makes sense. So do you wanna, do you wanna start working through the solutions and just kind of see where it goes? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, all right. So there's, there's three that we've come up with in, in my specific research and there might be more, you know, in, in a couple of years from now, but one of the things that this practice um, was developed by understanding how addiction is treated in the clinical setting and then taking that concept and applying that to my world and your world and the teaching and learning environment, right? So in addiction recovery, they do playbook A, then I translate that to teaching and learning. So the first thing that we'll do in addiction recovery is we'll either stop using or develop healthy uses for the thing, right? So we have an option here. Are we gonna stop using or are we gonna develop healthy uses for it? When we're looking at what we're addicted to, there are some things that we can absolutely stop using. Uh, cocaine, methamphetamine, we can stop using those. As a society, we can't stop eating. We can't stop having sex. In a lot of cases, we can't stop the prescription is given for us for a reason, right? So we can't, it's not really the best practice to stop that. We just have to develop really healthy uses for that thing. So when I map that over to the teaching and world environment, I have to ask myself when it comes to technology, am I either going to stop using technology or am I going to develop really healthy uses for technology? I don't think that we live in a society where we can stop integrating technology in schools because I think that's a very unauthentic learning environment. So what I'm advocating for is to develop the most healthy, the most um, uh, idealistic versions of technology integration. This is what you were asking about, Stephanie. So what I'm advocating for, I use the CMR model. There's other people that do it other different, different ways, but I, I advocate for the highest order of technology integration that we can come up with where we're um, championing those creation ideas uh, as opposed to the consumption ideas, because what we're doing, we're modeling for children that Yes, this technology device can be used to drain your life and drain your battery and watch cat videos on TikTok, right? Or it can be used to change the world in a very positive way. So, you know, when we're doing the M's and the, well, in case a listener is not familiar with the SAMR model, let me just do it real quick. S-A-M-R, that stands for substitution, augmentation, modification, and redefinition, Right four levels of technology integration, substitution and augmentation are used as enhancements for the teaching and learning experience. Modification and redefinition are used for transforming the learning experience. It's a really, it's a higher order. So I'm advocating for the M's and the R's when appropriate and the uh, creation over consumption when appropriate. So that's the first one. Uh, let me give you the second one. It is, um, it's all about uh, avoiding isolation. So if you're an addict and you go into recovery, they're going to give you, they're going to put you in community where you have a community of, of people that you can depend on and you're, you're accountable to that person. And you, you're, the idea is that we would avoid isolation because when we're isolated, that's when we're more likely to use that thing in an inappropriate way. So let's map that concept over to teaching and learning being in community and avoiding isolation and teaching and learning is all about really healthy, really amazing collaboration, right? So I use collaboration the same way I use SAMR model. I think of it in four levels. And one, it could be just 
the collaboration doesn't exist. It's just independent work. On level two, it could be a very low level of collaboration where maybe Lance, Steffi and I were just sharing crayons. We're just sitting at a desk together and getting along and kind of um, working as a team in that way. We're sharing uh, resources, sharing scissors, sharing crayons, that kind of thing. Level three would either be a shared product or a joint reasoning, but not both. So let's say the three of us are on a team and we come together and Stephanie, you do slides one through five. Lance, you do slides six through 10. I'll do 11 through 15 and then we'll present it. Well, we have a shared product, but we haven't done any joint reasoning. You've all done your individual thing. You could flip that over and let's say we all come together and we brainstorm. Um, and then we all three go off our own way and we do our own thing. Well, then we've had shared reasoning, but we haven't created a shared product, right? So that's level three. And then level four would be where we have both the shared product and the joint reasoning. That's a very, very highly collaborative learning environment. And the theory is when we are getting that dopamine release from the community that we're creating right there within that learning experience, we'll be less likely to go seek that affirmation from something that's not part of the learning experience. So that's two. And then the third one is, um, it's actually a, a lot more practical. It's, it's all about having accountability with the teacher. So there's software that you can do for this, something like a, oh, like a GoGuardian or a Securely or something where we can have all the screens um, shown on the teacher's computer all at once. Or you could just do it the very practical way of doing classroom management and keeping that proximity as the teacher's integrating technology she's moving around the room and she's using proximity to check on her students that's creating an accountability between the student and the teacher so the the student feels a lot less likely to be distracted and go off and do something that's outside of the learning experience because the teacher is kind of giving a monitor and giving it um, a close eye on that so those are the three things that i'm advocating for the cool thing is i've been tracking data on the collaboration piece we only have 4% of our discipline referrals that are happening for problematic media usage when students are at that very high level of collaboration. So what that means is 96% of our discipline referrals are happening when students are less engaged in community, which makes sense, right? If you've been teaching for more than 10 minutes, you know that there's an inverse relationship between student engagement and discipline. You know, when kids are very highly engaged, you're not getting those discipline referrals and vice versa. Does that make sense? Yeah, this is really, I'm taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, very actionable, isn't it? Yeah, I like your step number two because I never really thought about group work in a yeah. SAMR model way. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, very familiar with SAMR and I agree with step one, but like that group work, I mean, you're yeah. right. I see a lot of that level two with the low level of just sharing supplies or the level three, they create a joint product. Yeah. Um, but when yeah. you get to level four of that both, yeah, well, it's so true. And so I'm like, I need to create something for my teachers. Like this is, yeah. this is mind blowing. <laughs> it, that one's a really simple one. So yeah. there's a, I don't, I can't take credit for that one. There's a, um, there's a book out there that you guys can Google. It's called uh, Elements of Learning. It was written by Apple. And um, I think you can probably find it in like an iBook store or something like that. But uh, they have all kinds of models and their collaboration model is that four step and it's brilliant. And I 
I love it and I and I advocate for it everywhere I go. Yeah, and I think it's true too. Like we have Go Guardian. Yep. But a lot of teachers will sit at their desk um, because they might be that teacher check-in. And I've even kind of suggested to teachers like get up and walk around, check in with the kids. Don't have them come to you, go to them some days. Um, so that is just reassuring as well. <laughs> yeah, that's that really practical accountability piece. I know, you know, if, if I know that Lance is struggling and I can have proximity to Lance and so he feels like he's accountable to me as a person who cares about his educational outcomes, right? Being a caring person is kind of step one, right? And so you can create that atmosphere in a classroom just by being present and, you know, being available to your children like that. Yeah. All right, we're gonna go on to our next segment, which is our meme and quote. So Josh, what meme or quote did you bring this week? Yeah, so um, Dr. King, this, you've probably seen this, it shows up quite a bit around Martin Luther King Day, but Dr. King has a quote, it's about um, the fierce urgency of now. His idea there is that we can't sit around and wait for somebody else to fix these problems. The, 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 you if we acknowledge that addiction or something similar to that is a problem in our school, it's time to get up and put, put action to it right where we are. And that's why he, he calls it a fierce urgency of now and says, you know, we, we don't have the ability to wait. Tomorrow is today. We got to do it. Yeah. And mine is control the tech or the tech controls you. Um, and so it's Yoda. And with that, it's just kind of like, turn off your notifications, have that accountability person checking in on you, do the group work, have that set up in your classroom, get up and walk around or add some areas where students can be the creators. Um, so think about how you can control the tech. So it's not controlling you or your students. Lance. Yeah, so uh, I've got one here that says, I was told I wouldn't have to do that training. And, and the main reason is, uh, I think I'm, I'm up to about five weeks of training this summer that I'm going to have to do. So I'm going to be trained all out by the time we get done. You will be. All right, Josh, what's something that you can share with our listeners that you've learned this week? So my lesson for this week, I think I would just go back because we already mentioned, you know, our step two, I'll just kind of reinforce that is use some collaboration model to, to measure, to do some self-evaluation, look at the kinds of instruction that you're designing for your students. I know it's summertime right now, but now's a good time to be thoughtful about what we're planning for the fall. Make sure that when we're collaborating, we're collaborating at a very high level and not just sharing crayons. Yeah, I like that, Sharon. I just, I love the clock. I'm so into that now. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. need to make a visual. <laughs> yeah. um, so my share this week is just make a hub. Um, so I have so many resources and Ashley Holcomb, she's one of our guidance counselors in our district. She's amazing. Um, but she has helped me organize these resources with a hub using Canva and spreadsheets. And it's for our beautiful, gorgeous, um, what she has done. So I just love her idea. And I wanted to share that. Lance? All right, so I've shared a uh, application that I use here. It's called Handbrake. Uh, I've been using it all day at the office. Uh, this will allow you to um, take your your videos that you may have and compress them. So a lot of times, something that we see on networks is, especially like Screencastify and other things like that, the videos are not compressed and they're really large, and you can really cut them down by, you know, ninety percent of what they were, so that they run better on your school network. So. Handbrake will allow you to uh, take your videos and compress them down so that you're not using so much of the school's network. Your, uh, your tech guys will thank you for that. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for sharing. And Josh, how can our listeners connect with you? 
So I'm embarrassed to say this. I'm really new to Twitter. And if there's anybody on there that would just give me a try on Twitter, it's jratliffedu. And um, so I don't, you know, I'm, I'm trying there. I'm a newbie. Um, so give me a try there. And then the best place to find me is um, LinkedIn. So you can just search for Josh Ratliff. And then Trafera is really easy. It's just Trafera official on any platform you want. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Get Inspired and Innovate today. Um, make sure you check out the show notes um, for all of the amazing resources that Josh shared. And we cannot wait to connect and check out those show notes at getinspiredandinnovate.com.